Good morning. Our scripture lesson this morning is Galatians. We are walking through this book together and find ourselves this morning in Galatians chapter 4, beginning at verse 21. Uh, we'll go through verse 31, although I'll read in a moment. We'll, we'll, we'll go to verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, knowing that, uh, remember, the original language in the original writing of this book, Paul did not change chapters. That was given to us, I think, around the 1500s. So Galatians chapter 4, Bible's in the back. If you don't have one, you'll need one. Um, I'll have the verses up, but we're going to be looking around in chapter 4. Uh, hear the word of the Lord, his authoritative, infallible, inspired word. Galatians 4, chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, the Apostle Paul says, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. Those women are two covenants. One is Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Verse 28. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Verse 31. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. And this is why we do expository preaching, because nobody who preaches topically on a regular basis goes, let's, let's talk about Hagar on Sunday. You know, and Mount Sinai and freedom and covenants and free children and slave women. And yeah, let's, we'll do five principles on how to get your life better. You know, that's, we do expository, go through books of the Bible because we come to this section of scripture and it's in a very important section of scripture and hope it would bring application to your souls this morning as God's word is opened and read and preached. And just a reminder, Galatia is in Asia Minor. Paul went there due to an illness, we found out, a bodily ailment, and preached the gospel. The region was made up of of Jewish folks, Israelites, and Gentiles, which are non-Jews. And many of the Gentiles in Galatia had come to faith, that responded to the gospel that Paul preached, and became followers of Christ, and a church, churches were formed. They were a people who were regenerate. Bible calls being born again, born anew. They were justified, and now they're in the process of being sanctified. Sanctified, a simple term for sanctification means growing in Christ-likeness. If you remember, though, the, I'll keep going back to this because it's very important. The biblical word, and when we see the word justification in your Bible, sometimes it's translated righteousness. It's an important word because it answers the most important question of the universe. How does a person or how is a person made right with God? 
We said justification is like a coin that has two sides. When someone repents and turns from their sins, places their faith and trust and reliance on the person and work of Christ, they're forgiven of their sins. And the other side of the coin, the righteousness of Christ is imputed or reckoned or accounted to the believer. And since we are all sinners and unrighteous, we are not able to enter into the presence of a holy God because sin and rebellion and holiness and purity doesn't go together. And since Christ alone, listen, lived a perfect life, he alone can atone for sin and he alone can give us the righteousness that's necessary or required to stand before a holy God, to have a personal relationship with God, which Paul says in chapter 4, verse 6, where we cry out, Abba, Father. And in Galatia, these churches were flourishing. People had been forgiven of their sins. Christ's righteousness had been counted and imputed to their account. They received eternal life. They were uh, possessors, chapter 3 says, of the Holy Spirit. They were flourishing as believers until some false teachers had come in their midst, known as the Judaizers. They came from uh, Jerusalem, and they were teaching, these Judaizers were teaching in Galatia, To the Gentiles that having faith in Christ is not enough. In order to be truly saved, you have to also (coughs) keep with the law of Moses, beginning with circumcision, which is uh, the sign and the seal of the Old Testament covenant. They were saying that one must keep the law, the ceremonial laws as well, and the festivals and the feast, in order to be accepted by God. God gave the law of Moses, as we know. To identify them as his people, they gave him laws on how to live and certain things to do, certain things not to do, <clears throat> what to eat, what not to eat, and, and, and who to hang out with and not to be a part of. But even in the Old Testament, this was not the way God was justifying, saving, redeeming, making people right with him was not through the law. In fact, Paul says, if you want to talk about the law, if you want to add your moral goodness and somehow add to God's justification, he says in chapter 2, chapter 1, it's actually damnable, a false gospel. And this whole book, this whole epistle was written to battle against man-made religion. All right? Man-made religion, a religion that thinks that one can somehow help God to save and to justify people, that somehow we can work with him And be made righteous. The gospel though. Not man-made religion. But the gospel is that man cannot help. Man cannot contribute to his or her justification. Made right with God. Forgiveness and righteousness. They they can't add to that. It's, It's a gift. It's called grace. It comes from God. Religion is self-reliance, but the gospel is justification, salvation that comes by the grace of God through, listen, faith alone in Christ alone. Chapter 2, verse 16 is, is the verse that y'all should be underlined in your Bible. You know this, you know, at least know where this is. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So, we also, the Jewish people, believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. Not by works of the law. Why not, Paul? Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Chapter 2, verse 16. Then chapters 3 and 4 is where Paul makes his argument theologically. He goes back to the Old Testament. He says, listen, even Abraham and all the good things that Abraham did, he still 
became righteous, became justified, was made right with God through faith. And he says in chapter 3, verse 6, quote in Genesis, just as Abraham believed God, faith in God, faith in God's promises, it was counted to him, that's our word, reckoned, imputed to him as righteousness. It wasn't something that Abraham did. It was something that Abraham believed. Someone in whom he believed in, and that is God. Faith is enough, Paul's argument through this whole book. Faith is enough, and how you receive righteousness is through the imputation of Christ and by faith in Christ. And we ended chapter 4, Paul said that earning one's salvation, very important argument, chapter 4, verses 8 through 18, that when when the Gentiles are trying to earn their salvation, justification through this meticulous biblical morality, it's as if they're going back to the enslavement of paganism. Hear what he's saying in in the midst of the Jewish people and the Gentiles in this one church. He says to the Gentiles, if you want to go back under the law of Moses, under the Old Testament law that was given to the Jewish people, if that's what you want to go back, you might as well just go back to your pagan worship. It's the same thing. Fighting words. And if that's not enough, he's going to tell them today that you're not children of Abraham and Sarah. You're children of a slave woman. Three things. First, he'll give this historical explanation of what he means by that. What they're in slavery to and why they're in slavery is if they're trying to earn their salvation. Historical explanation. Next, allegorical illustration. I use the word illustration on purpose. You'll see why. And he'll use this story to show forth the truth of God's word. And then we'll end with some practical explanation. Okay, so that's where we're going. In verse 19, though, of chapter 4, Paul says, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm in agony as a mother continuing on and on in childbirth and labor to see Christ formed in you. You all got to get this. If you want to, to be like Christ, if you want to be free, you have to understand this is my desire for you. This is my desire for you. It's, it's the pastor elder's desire for you. The deacon's the deacon's desire that we understand this and walk in this freedom. And he says, so tell me. He's arguing about this freedom and, and, and we have in Christ, that this justification by faith alone. He says, tell me, verse 21, you who desire to be under the law, do you listen to the law? The article's not there. It actually says, do you listen to law? He's, he's talking about the encompass of the Old Testament, all the laws. And here again, Paul is saying uh, clearly a theology, a salvation, a justification that you think you could earn, somehow get it on your own merit, coupled with maybe some help with God, is being under the law. Later on, earlier he says, it's those who rely upon the law. It's very important, very important that you understand what that means. Being under the law or relying on the law. What it does not mean is that God's law means nothing to us anymore. There's a false teaching out there that if you're not, you know, if you're, if you're not a Jew or you're a Christian, God's law has nothing to do with you. That's not what it means. That's not what it means. And somehow you can live any old way. Christians, I know this is real theological, but Christians are Christ followers. If you love me, you'll obey me. I mean, there must be something you don't say, I'm a Christian, I do whatever I want, I don't listen to Jesus. You're not a Christian, obviously, right? If you love me, you'll obey me. Living under law does not mean that we do not obey God's moral law. 
Living under the law means this. Relying upon the law means this. I am going to work my butt off. I am going to continue to, to do all the things I need to do in order to have a right standing before God, in order to be accepted by God, in order to be approved by God, in order to be blessed by God, I have to do all these things. Christians are free, as we mentioned earlier, from the Mosaic ordinances, the ceremonies, and the rituals. Christ fulfilled that. But no matter what law, your law-keeping, your moral performance, your deeds, and, and your trying to work make no contribution to your salvation. Hear that. Your law-keeping and obedience makes no contribution to one's salvation. Okay? Christ fulfilled the ceremonial laws, but Christ says, follow me. So we're not under God's laws if I got to work toward pleasing God in order for God to love me. We're not over God's laws. I'm going to do whatever I want. There's nothing you could tell me what to do. I live on my own. I do what I want. The moral commands of God are like a road. Empowered by the Spirit. Our aim and our trajectory is love. Love of God. Love for others. But never should we obey to get God to accept us and love us and justify us. We are loved and justified and and, and accepted by the perfect life of Christ. And then out of gratitude, you've you got to get this. And you got to, Luther said, beat it in your head. And maybe say, Lou, we heard this before. I'm going to keep saying it. Out of gratitude, thanksgiving, and praise, and worship of what Christ has done on our behalf, in our place, taking our sin, giving us his righteousness, out of that, command me. There's a difference saying, command me, I have to run this treadmill, do, 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 and then God will love me, love me, love me, and accept me. It's no, Christ has done that. As I mentioned to one lady in the church, we're free to fail. Live generously, radically for Jesus. David says this, that the law is honey on his lips. But that's not what's going on in Galatia. They were trying to put believers in bondage by saying the cross is insufficient For your salvation, the cross is insufficient for your justification. You need to add to your works to be made made right with God. Paul calls it bondage. All over Galatia, chapter 2, verse 4, they were trying to bring us under bondage, slavery, making Titus get circumcised. Chapter 4, verse 9, slavery, imprisonment. Chapter 3, 22 and 23, being enslaved. Chapter 4, verse 3 and chapter 4, verse 8, about being slave to the old elementary things of the world. Slavery and bondage and, 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 and slave to sin is all over this book. But so is forgiveness. So is freedom and justification as a gift given to us by God. Some people would argue, I think, and maybe you're here this morning, well, I'm not enslaved to anything, anyone. And sometimes we talk about slavery. Uh, maybe you're thinking slavery, you see the people, maybe you're uh, strung out on heroin or crack or um, alcohol. They're enslaved to those things. And you think, I, that's not me. And maybe it is. Jesus sets us free. But let me ask this question then to you. Are you a constant worrier? Are you motivated by greed? Are you constantly finding yourself seeing what other people have and you covet those things? 
Do you regularly lose your temper? Are you in bondage to lust? Do you hold grudges? Are you refusing to forgive? And we can go on and on. See, sometimes we're blind to our own slaveries. If you're not sure, just ask your spouse, someone you know close to you. They'll, they'll let you know what, that are, what they are. Interesting, in John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to religious leaders, those who are holding to justification by works. And Jesus is talking to them. And they're, they're proud people who follow the law. They're Pharisees, which means separate ones. And, and, they, and they're, you, know, you know what they, Jesus has to say to them in the New Testament. Anyway, he says to them, listen, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the slave does not remain in the house, part of the family forever, but the son remains forever. And he tells them, if the son sets you free, Jesus himself, talking to the Pharisees, if the son sets you free, you will be in free. You'll be free indeed. And they said, we're the offspring of Abraham. What are you talking about, Jesus? We're not enslaved to anyone. Abraham is our father. Jesus says, really? If you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing what Abraham did. He had faith in me, but now you're trying to kill me. <laughs> They're like, he, he's our father. And Jesus is like, no, he's not your father. The devil's your father. They're like, really? He, they ask him, we were not born of sexual immorality. In other words, the devil did not sleep with my mama. That's what he says. And Jesus is like, um, no. Uh, if, if God was your father and you were a child of Abraham, you would listen to me. You would love me. You would respond to me. But your father's a devil. He's a murderer He's a, he, from the beginning, and he doesn't stand in the truth. He speaks lies. He's a, his character is lies. That's who you belong to. Jesus is saying uh, it, it, freedom and bondage is not contingent upon your, your prodigy, your, your physical birth, your, your parents, your, your pedigree. But in Christ, that's exactly what Paul's going to do here. Because the Galatians... The Judaizers in Galatia were saying, we are children of Abraham. We know better. You have to follow the law. You're not really a child of God until you follow. Look at verse 22. For it is written, Abraham had two sons. Y'all talking about your children of Abraham. One by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Brilliant argument from the Apostle Paul. Do you really think that you are free and can be justified by your moral performance? He says you can't. In fact, if that's what you're resting on, if you're resting on your dudes, uh, deeds and law, listen, you're the child of a bond woman, a slave woman, not a free woman. Now, the women he's talking about is Hagar and Sarah. You find it in, in Genesis, the beginning of Genesis. If you don't know the story, let me just give it to you quickly. Abraham was promised by God that from your line, from your seed, from your offspring, I am going to make a great nation, singular, because Jesus is that promise. We learned about that earlier in Galatians. He's like, but I'm old. Lord, I'm really old. I don't have any heir. My, my wife, Sarah, is barren. I'm an old man, she's an old woman, way past the child-bearing years. Like, are you kidding? And God says, no, Abraham, I'm not kidding. I'm going to make your offsprings, and he's talking about the family now, the nation, the people of God, like the stars in the skies, like the sand on the beaches, you're going to be a nation. And, and Abraham hears that from God, receives the promise of God, and he says in uh, excuse me, Genesis 15, Abraham believed the Lord, that's our verse, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So even in the Old Testament, how a man and woman get right with God is through faith. In the promise coming. And his name is Jesus. So Abraham goes back and tells Sarah. And what does Sarah do? 
She laughs. Barren her whole life. She thinks it's funny. And she laughs. Time marches on. Still no baby. She's approaching 90. Abraham's approaching 100. What happens? Sarah says to her maidservant, her slave, her name is Hagar. She's an Egyptian. And says, listen, you go and sleep with my husband, Abraham. My gift to you, Abraham, here she is. Very common in that day. Very foolish even in that day. And Abraham foolishly accepts this gift. And Hagar gets pregnant and gives birth to a boy named Ishmael. Abraham sleeps with Hagar. Ishmael is born. Okay? Well, God had made a promise. God keeps his promises, family. God keeps his promises. Maybe not be on your time, but God keeps his promises. And what happens? Sarah gets pregnant. And she gives birth to a son. And his name is Isaac. The promise fulfilled. Now follow Paul's argument here. There are are similarities. Ishmael has the same dad, raised in the same home, both circumcised, but they have different moms. And from their prospective mothers, they inherited two different standings. That's the important thing. Ishmael's mother was a slave, so Ishmael was born into what? Slavery. Hagar's a slave. Isaac, on the other hand, was born free. He's the heir of a free woman. And the point Paul is making here, and going back to historical reality, truth, the moment you believe in Christ, you were the children of Abraham, the heirs of the promise. And the moment you start thinking you have to obey the law in order to become a child and be made right with God, you're not the child of Abraham anymore. You're the child of the slave, verse 23. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. While the son of the free woman was born through promise. A person, think this through with me. A a person can think he or she is gaining more and more freedom because of their devotion to scripture. Even their obedience to God. And be sinking deeper and deeper into bondage. And self-deception. That's extremely important and very scary. I lived it. This is the mistake of the Pharisees. This is the mistake of all legalists. Arrogant and mighty in scripture, yet self-righteous in their heart and their attitude. And Paul's point is, both these circumstances with these children had two different processes in their births. Ishmael is the result of the flesh. See what it says? That represents human initiative. Isaac was the fruit of divine intervention. The promises of God. God is going to give Sarah's son, but it's not going to be through their own work. It's going to be a supernatural work of God. Not like Mary. It wasn't a virgin birth, but 90 years old, having a child. God had to intervene on that one. Ishmael's born naturally, Isaac supernaturally, and they become patterns for us. That's what he wants you to see. Patterns for spiritual truth. Ishmael is a son of the flesh, represents those who try to work their way into salvation, want to do things on their own, they wind up in bondage. Yet Isaac, the child of the promise, result of the work and the power and the intervention of God. And if you're here this morning... 
and you're trying to find self-fulfillment, you're trying to find self-justification, trying to gain some sort of self-identity and worth by some behavioral modification, you're a slave to it. Piper, uh, John Piper posted this morning, I, I, I wrote it down. He says, you were made for something infinitely better than yourself. You were made for something infinitely better than yourself. Your own worth could never satisfy you, end quote. If you've chosen to put yourself under the law, you are basing your understanding of God's approval on you and your behavior. You become a slave to it because it's never enough and you know it. It's never enough. There's always faults. There's always blemishes. There's always spots. There's always something you wish you didn't do that you do. Your heart know it, knows it, and then we live a lie. And, and, and trying to accomplish this, trying to get right with God, trying to get right with yourself through your own efforts, your own power, is sinful, it's useless, it creates bondage, and yet Isaac symbolizes those who have faith. And God does the work. He brings it to pass. He gets the glory. True freedom comes only through divine initiative. In fact, listen, to the degree that you're living your life, to the degree which you take matters into your own hands, is the extent that you are not free in Christ. But to the degree we trust in the promise of God, we're relying upon the work of Christ, not on our own hands, is to the extent that you will walk in that freedom of Christ. That's what he's trying to teach us in this historical explanation. Next, allegorical. Now, verse 24, this may be interpreted allegorically. This free woman and this bondwoman, this, this slave son and this, this free son. It could be interpreted allegorically. There, there are women of two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, but she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our Mother, Paul continues contrasting this this freedom and slavery from an allegorical position. Now, the word allegory has caused some interpreters some headaches. It is the Greek word allegoreo. It simply means, well, if you have a King James Bible that says, which things allegorically... ESV interpreted allegorically, NIV being taken figuratively, New American Standard, this is allegorically speaking. <laughs> so we do get our English word, it's transliterated, allegoreo is then translated to English, where we get our word allegory. But it does not mean exactly what it means for us today. It did not mean that in the day of Paul. The word allegoreo literally means to speak of one thing by referring to another. It can cover typology, illustration. It was uh, used, if you know anything about allegory in the first century, uh, some of our church fathers really did a bad job with it, and it became popular in the Middle Ages. And what they did was they would read Scripture, and then from some external grid, disconnected from the story, they would make up what they believed that story actually meant. So one of our church fathers did this. This is bad allegory, okay? One of the church fathers explain the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember that story? The man is robbed on the road and everything else. So the man in the story that was robbed, he's Adam. Jerusalem is paradise. Jericho is the world. The priest is the law. The Levites are the prophet. The Samaritan is Christ. The donkey is Christ's physical body who bears the burdens of the wounds. And the inn is the church. And the Samaritan's promise to return is a promise of the second coming. 
If you want to allegorize scripture, you can make it say anything. Like, here, now drink this Kool-Aid. <laughs> it's really good for you because Jesus gave water to the woman of the well, and it represents this Kool-Aid. We're going to drink together. You see how that works? Not good. <laughs> I don't think that's what Paul is doing, although there's some of it in here. And unless you're an apostle, you walk with Jesus, you met Jesus, you saw his ministry, and you are actually an apostle, capital A, A, you can't walk around allegorizing scripture. Paul can, you can't, I can't, okay? You don't want to do that. But this is really, I believe, more of a typology, more of an illustration, okay? Uh, Isaac and, and Ishmael were real people. He's basing his illustration, his typology, his, his understanding on, on facts of history, okay? Began with two sons and now two women. Now two covenants, although they're, 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 they're distinct, they're not disconnected. But for our reading, there was the covenant of Abraham. And that's what he's talking about that was given to Abraham in, in Genesis 12, 15 and 17. And then the covenant of Sinai in our text. That's what he's talking about. The covenant of Sinai is what? The covenant of Moses. The Mosaic covenant. Hagar Ishmael, he says, is like the covenant from Mount Sinai. That in which Moses received when he gave, when God gave him the law. And you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hagar, Ishmael, slaves, connected, corresponding to, somehow related to Mount, uh, excuse me, um, Mount Sinai. The, the giving of the law was for the Jewish people. What does that mean? Well, historically, yes. Historically, God gave the law to Moses in that covenant at Mount Sinai. Yes. What Paul is doing is comparing that the law that was given produced slavery. How? By exposing our sin. We talked about that in chapter 3. It, it exposed our sin. It, it is the gospel that frees us. Now, if you look at verse 25, the word corresponds. You see what it says in verse 25? Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia corresponding to the new, to the present Jerusalem. That word means to, to put in a column, in a row. Okay, to put a column in, in, in a row. And what he's doing is he's, he's, he's lining this up. The new Jerusalem, the old Jerusalem, slavery and bondage. We're going to talk about that in a second. But just in case, if you're tracking with me, there's two Jerusalems here in the text. Well, I thought there was only one. Well, actually, there's two. When Paul talks about the Jerusalem that is present, he's talking about the Jerusalem that will be disintegrated. He's talking about the Jerusalem of the present day that's still filled with sin and rebellion, just like America, but he's talking about Jerusalem. There's still sin and there's still rebellion in our world and in our day and in that day. And when you read Isaiah, you read Jeremiah, you read Ezekiel, and they talk about the present Jerusalem that will be done away with because of its sin and its rebellion. They say, but there's a new Jerusalem coming. That's the promise. There's a new Jerusalem coming where there'll be singing and dancing and righteousness will reign in anticipating this glory that's going to come, the Jerusalem from above. The New Testament picks it up in Hebrews chapter 12. Paul, excuse not Paul, the writer of Hebrew says, you did not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest. That's, that's, you didn't come to Sinai. You didn't come to the mountain. You're not Ishmael. You're not Hagar. And then the Hebrews writer says this about Christians. You have come to Mount Zion, that's Jerusalem, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, 
and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings and to the assembly of the firstborn. God, the judge, the righteous judge, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. There's this new Jerusalem that is promised in the Old Testament, picked up in the New Testament, and then revealed in Revelation 21. That's what Paul is talking about, that Jerusalem. And Hagar is, is a, the perfect woman to talk about that represents the Old Covenant. She's associated with Sinai, partly because Hagar's children are the Ishmaelites from Arab, maybe in that region, but more importantly, is that Hagar, Ishmael, in slavery, in bondage, shows us, shows us that law of God enslaves because of our sin. It's not that God's law is bad, it's that we are sinful. So anyone who's still in bondage to legalism, trying to earn their salvation, is one of Hagar's spiritual children. Anyone who says the do's and don'ts, that's what makes up Christianity, is a slave like Ishmael. So with that in place, you can see this column side by side. Throughout the text. If you read the text, this is what you'll find. You'll find on one side there's a slave woman. Her name is Hagar. And there's a woman of promise. She's the free woman. There's spiritual bondage to sin and to, and to the slavery to sin and to trying to earn your way. There's spiritual freedom. That's Isaac. There's Ishmael. He's born of the flesh. Human initiative. There's, there's Isaac. He's born of the promise. I told you I was going to do this. There, there's fully rejected. We'll see that in a minute. Cast out the bond woman. And her son. And there's wonderful acceptance. There's the old covenant, the new covenant, the earthly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. Judaizes, justification equals faith plus works. The gospel, justification equals faith alone. There's man way and there's God ways. That's the correspondence. That's what he wants us to see. We are citizens of the new Jerusalem. We enjoy the freedom of that eternal city. Now, think for a minute, family. Think about the Jewish people in that region who believe, who thought, who teach, who taught that they were children of Abraham. He's like, no, you, yeah, you're children of Abraham, that's true, but you belong to Ishmael and Hagar. You're, you're, you're part of the slave and the bondage. You're, you're, you're a, 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 an outcast. You're like the Gentiles. Their heart and approach to God is is like Abraham with Hagar, and the fruit of it is Ishmael, more slavery. I mean, again, fighting words. Listen, the people, the people who rely on their own ability rather than the work and supernatural loving grace of God can be the most religious people in the world, and yet they can be the furthest from the freedom that Christ has for them. He goes on. Verse 27. He's quoting Isaiah 54. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. You think, what are you talking about? That prophecy is in Isaiah, as I said, Isaiah was prophesying in that day when he was prophesying, the Israelites were in bondage, in slavery. They were in captivity in Babylon. And Isaiah is prophesying. He compares, uh, their con- uh, he compares their condition in exile under divine judgment to the barren woman, deserted by her husband, 
but their future state of restoration, like a fruitful mother who who will have children upon children upon children. In other words, God promised that his people will return. They, they will not be in exile forever. A new day is dawning. Isaiah says, you will, will be numerous. You will you are barren, but you will rejoice. And this promise was partially fulfilled in the return of the Jewish people under Nehemiah. But its full restoration is the gospel. That's why Paul is using this. The return from exile has arrived with rejoicing in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has poured out his grace on the Gentiles who were also people who had no hope. They were a people that thought they would never go home. They were people who thought they would never return to their own country again. They, they, they knew they had failed. They knew they were being punished for their sin. They were helpless. And you know what? When God takes us out of our comfortable spot and he leads us into this desert of disappointments and setbacks, we feel like a failure. We're, we're, we're stuck. We're trapped. Maybe you feel that way this morning, your, your, your job, your, your home situation, uh, your school, or other things, and you think things will never change. Paul is saying, remember the promises of God. Remember and rejoice and rest in the finished work of Christ, who makes you children of God, sons and daughters of God. And, and, and family, if we fail to rejoice in the promises of God and who we are as identifying with Christ through the gospel... We'll trust in our own abilities. We will. We'll, we'll be like Abraham, who was passive, like Adam, and listen to the wrong person. When we take matters into our own hands, we rush back into bondage. It is precisely in these desperate moments that we should rely upon God, the life-giving power and work of God alone. This great reversal seen by Isaiah from barrenness to, to fruitfulness, from despair to joy, from desolation to blessings can only be done through the gospel because it is the work of God. That's the allegorical interpretation. And lastly, practical application. Verse 28. Now you, emphatic, he's, he's, he's getting serious with them. Brothers, listen, we all are, we, listen, I, I know you're believers in Christ. I was there, I preached the gospel to you. Brothers, he calls them. Like Isaac, are children of the promise. Don't go back to a false gospel. He's not even saying, listen, don't go back to your pagan ritual. He's saying, don't go back to, the, to this false gospel. Don't, don't act like you're children of Hagar. You're not. You're children of, of Sarah, like Isaac, the son of the promise. Yes, the Judaizers think they are, but they're not. They think that you Gentiles were really Ishmaelites. You're in bondage. You're not. You've come to the promise of Christ. You've come to the truth of the gospel. Don't go back. Don't go back. Trust in the promise. The promise of justification by grace alone through faith alone. And according to this promise, all it takes is to rely upon Christ. And, and God would have me say that to you this morning. That's all it takes to rest, to rely, to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross as payment for our sins. He died as our substitute. He got what we deserve upon himself. And not only was our sins imputed to him, his righteousness is imputed to us. That's the promise. And if you hold to that promise, look at verse 29. This is what happens. Just as that time he was born according to the flesh, 
that's Ishmael, that's through Hagar, persecuted him who's born according to the Spirit. So it is now. In other words, if you read back in Genesis, it won't go there, but Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. Those who want to keep the rules, you have to do it my way, do it this way in order to be saved. The self-righteous, this, this religious folks will always persecute those who are free in Christ. If you think, if you're here this morning, you think somehow I'm just going to try to really be good and I'm really going to try, I'm really going to do my very best and you know that that's never good enough, you know what that makes you? <laughs> that, that makes you nervous, insecure, uptight. You're not going to like those who are clinging to Christ alone. You will know, you and I will know, that you're getting the gospel right. That your moral record, deeds, and performance has nothing to do with your justification when you stop being jealous of people who are doing things right or who are succeeding better than you when you think you should. You will know that you're getting the gospel right when you stop being intolerable and hostile to people who are very different from you. Why? Because we see the righteousness provided through the work of Christ alone. In, in the miraculous birth, this perfect life of Christ, sin-bearing atonement, resurrection from the dead. If that's the case, how could you look down on anybody? So the question you have, that I have for you this morning, to which of the pairs do you belong? It's not enough to say, well, I, I, I claim to be a child of Abraham. Remember, he had two sons. So it's not, it's not good enough to say, well, I grew up in the church. I, 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 I taught Sunday school. My, my, my dad's this, my, my mom's that. Um, I, I know my Bible, I, 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 you know, it's something, or to say, you know what, I, I, I read my Bible, I give to the church, I'm coming to church, I, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Listen, if, if, if that's your means of justification or acceptance before God, you're living like Ishmael. The two pairs are not only mutually exclusive, one must be tossed out on its keister. Look at verse 30. What does the scripture say? He said it like three times. What does the scripture say? So if you're an Andy Stanley family, I'm a fan, I'm sorry. What does the scripture say? If you don't understand that, that's okay. Cast out the slave woman. He's taking the words right out of Sarah in the Old Testament. Cast her out. The son of the slave had no inheritance with the son of the free. That's what Sarah told Abraham to do. And Abraham's like, ah, I don't really want to do that. God had to show up and say, Abraham, listen to your wife. Some of you women saying, I hope that happens this week with me. God shows up. If the Galatians want to stand firm in Christ, the freedom to have in Christ, rooted in Christ and not be going back to legalism, they've got to get rid of it. There's no other choice. Otherwise, what happens is you get under that thinking and under those schemes and under those methods and you're going back right into what? Slavery. This kind of heresy invades the church. There could be no question of compromise or concession for this somehow coming to some harmony together. Legalism must be rooted out. F.F. Bruce says this, whatever moral or legal problems may have been raised by Sarah's demand in its historical setting, in Paul's application becomes a statement of basic gospel truth. What is the basic gospel truth? Legal bondage and gospel freedom cannot coexist. End quote. Last verse, 31. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Let me summarize the entire chapter. Not only three, not only four, but of chapter three. 
And the analogy that he's using wraps right up with this. Listen, here it is, brothers, the bottom line. We're not children of the slave, but of the free. Who are children of God? Are those who, listen to me, give me two more minutes. Those who completely abandon their own self-efforts to save, justify, to have meaning in life, purpose and meaning of existence, but have completely embraced, hold, rest, and rely upon Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and the righteousness that is required are children of God. Some of you have heard of a man named Charles Wesley, English hymn writer, teacher, leader, along with his brother John of the Methodist movement. Charles Wesley was born and raised in a very devout Christian home. His father, and I believe his grandfather, were ministers in England, pastors of the church. His mom, Susanna, was a very devout believer. And at a very young age, Charles Wesley was reading the Word of God. He learned multiple languages. He was devoted to Scripture, to prayer, to visiting prisons, to fasting, and many disciplines of the Christian life. But he did not come to faith till later on through the preaching of uh, what they call Moravians. You see, he was serving Christ. He was a missionary to America. He, he was preaching. He started orphanages. But he was a child of Hagar and he didn't even know it. He was trusting not in Christ alone, maybe his pedigree, maybe his good works. But when Charles Wesley came to faith in the reality that all his good deeds are filthy rags... That it had to be Christ alone, by faith alone, he wrote this famous hymn. When he came to the reality of that it's Christ alone, nothing he could do, he said this. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? What did I do? He died for me. I caused his pain. For me, who him to death pursued. Then he writes, long my imprisoned spirit. This is a man devoted Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, the work of God. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that God should die for me? We often think that freedom is this self-chosen identity. I could do what I want. No one tells me. Not Christianity, not any religion. I'm on my own, doing my own thing. I am free. Well, God says that's slavery. That's slavery. It's the worst kind of slavery. The freedom God offers is a restoring uh, slavery. The slavery that God offers and the freedom God offers is the work in which God will do in our life. The Bible talks about slavery. Romans chapter 6. We love, we love to quote this. For the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? You ever heard that verse before? Right? Good verse. You know what the context is? Slavery. Yeah. Paul says, if you present to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey. Either to sin that leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. Which way are you going? Who are you a slavery to? He says, but thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart, having been set free from slavery of sin, to become slaves of righteousness. But now that you have been set free from sin and become a slave of God, the fruit 
leads to sanctification, and in its end, at the end of the day, it's eternal life for the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as the band comes up, give me, give me one minute, the band can come up. Listen to me here. Slaves take pride in their moral performance. Free persons find their pleasure and satisfaction in the gospel, in Christ alone, through the cross. So my family, listen, stop seeking approval, grounds of acceptance before God by what you do. Seek your approval, grounds of your acceptance before God by faith solely in the person and the work of Christ. Every religion, Judaism, Hinduism, Islam, Mormonism, all are slave religions. And yes, even moralistic Protestant churches that talk more about what you can do for God than what God has done for you. I get that. You can't add words to faith on the basis of your righteousness before God. It is bondage. It is by Christ alone. Martin Luther, we'll close with him. Those who try to achieve the status of sons and heirs by the righteousness of the law. This man was a devoted man, a priest. Heirs by the righteousness of the law or by their own righteousness are slaves who will never receive the inheritance even though they work themselves to death with their great effort. For they are trying, for they are trying, contrary to the will of God, to achieve by their own works what God wants to grant to believers by sheer grace for Christ's sake, end quote. The greatest paradox of the Christian faith is one is never completely free until one is completely submissive. One is not completely free until one is completely submissive. God created you to worship him. And he's made the way and his name is Jesus. Stop trying on your own and rest alone in Christ alone. Through faith alone. Let us pray. Father, even now there's probably some here thinking it's too easy. Well, it cost us nothing, but it cost you everything. That's the gift you give us by faith in Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for living that perfect life, the life we could never live, to following the laws and under its demands perfectly. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for willingly sacrificing your life, giving your life up in obedience to your Father so that we can have forgiveness of sin, so that we can now become children of the King. And God, we pray as we continue to worship in song that you would work in our heart, faith, that we would trust alone in Christ alone and that we'd stop working to try to make our way to you but recognize that you have come to us in the person of Jesus. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.